I'm Laura Barrera, and welcome to the 18th episode of our No-Till Farmer podcast series. Today's program, Enabling No-Till Yields to Increase with Earthworms and Drainage, is being brought to you by Montag Manufacturing. If this is your first time listening, I encourage you to subscribe to this podcast currently available on iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Subscribing will allow you to get an alert when upcoming episodes are released. If you have another app you use for listening to podcasts, let us know and we'll make an effort to get it listed there as well. Thanks to Montag Manufacturing, your fertilizing equipment specialist, for sponsoring today's episode. Offering complete dry and liquid fertilizer systems, Montag will help you reap the benefits of deep banding fertilizer which can reduce your rates, increase your yields, and assist your stewardship goals. They also offer high-capacity auto-steer carts that help keep soil compaction under control by precisely following in the tracks of any implement. To learn more about their fertilizer solutions, visit www.montagmfg.com or call them today at 712-852-4572. Charles Darwin once said that without the work of this humble creature, who knows nothing of the benefits he confers upon mankind, agriculture, as we know it, would be very difficult, if not wholly impossible. Earthworms, who have earned the nickname Nature's Plow, play a crucial role in no-till systems. In today's presentation from the 2016 National No-Tillage Conference, retired USDA ARS soil researcher Doral Kemper We'll talk about how earthworms benefit no-till farmers when it comes to water management and how towel drainage can be used to protect them. In today's No-Till Farmer podcast, brought to you by Montag Manufacturing, we welcome Doral Kemper to share how no-tillers can increase their soil's water table and yield with earthworms. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to be here with you today. I'm experienced rather than expired. (laughs) (laughs) And I appreciate that. I think that no-till has been one of the greatest things that's happened to agriculture in my time. When I started school, they told us that the most that this world could provide for most people would be about two or three billion. That's what the wise men who had studied it concluded. How many do we have now? Seven billion. And it's a result of the fact that you people who are practicing no-till and a lot of other people who have advanced the science of agriculture as they have, have been co-partners in creation with the good Lord, and they've made it so that this planet can produce much more than it could when I was in school. And uh, I think you're going to keep on, because I feel that you come up with new ideas, ways of doing what you're doing more efficiently. And uh, it's kind of exciting to be with you, to go out in your fields and see how you're finding ways 
of growing more crop on that same land. Well, that's not the subject on which I'm supposed to talk today. Uh, the heroes of the today will be this wiggly little earthworm that's on the left side of the screen there. And here's a tile line coming out of a field where uh, the water is leaving the field. Now this is in an area where we often are short of water. Do you think that's a good idea to take the water out of the field when you're very likely going to be under drought conditions later on, drought conditions for most of the farmers. And yet we've got a drain installer over here by the name of Amos Ide, who's one of the uh, guys that we really respect in our part of the country because he puts in drain tile and he is busy all of the time when the, you can put in tile. And you know, uh, the farmers who put in these tiles are making money. They're paying off the cost of their tile installation, usually within the, the first five years. <laughs> Some, if the crop prices are, are, are up high, they can do it in three or four. But right at the moment, of course, as all of you know, most of you know, prices are down a bit because uh, we've got ahead and we're producing a little more of these beans and corn than they needed at the moment. But you know, we're feeding those things to a bigger and bigger group of people and of animals. Do you know we now eat nine times as many fish as we did 50 years ago? 50 years ago, they were catching them out of the rivers and they were feeding them chopped off pieces of little fish. Now they're feeding them mostly corn and soybean residues after they take out the ethanol at the ethanol plant you got some great high-protein feed left over that they can sell to those fish farmers. And that is one of the great progresses that it's been fun to see. Well, getting back to what I'm supposed to talk about, uh, these drains are taking the water out of that soil and the farmers are still making more money. The worms create a variety of sizes of conduits in the soil. They move water a lot faster than it moves through the soil in general through these channels that the earthworms dig. And they get the water down deeper in the soil. And the worms come in different sizes and are different varieties. In fact, uh, they keep telling me there are 9,000 varieties of earthworms. <laughs> the good Lord <laughs> tried them all. <laughs> and he's still working with 9,000 actually. There's been many more than that. 
But our favorite in this area is our Lumbricus terrestris, or the earthworm that uh, you'd probably take on your fishing trips with you. He's a big one, and he digs a pretty good-sized hole. And he doesn't ingest all of that soil. He's got a pointed little front end, and he pokes it into the soil, eating the organic matter that's around decaying roots, and uh, sometimes it's just in the soil, been there long enough that you can't identify it. And after he's dug that little pointed area, ingested the soil from that into his body, he uh, then pushes his little pointed head along there and flexes his muscles. He flexes it and spreads it out so that that little hole, which was to begin with only a millimeter diameter, is now a quarter of an inch in diameter. And he fle keeps flexing that way through the soil. But he doesn't eat all that soil that you see in that burrow that's left after he's finished. Well, the uh, worms actually build their own residence. This is just a schematic drawing. This one's showing a, a top view of a bunch of crop residues that were pulled to the entrance of the hole that that earthworm came out of. And uh, as he goes into that hole, he doesn't pull those crop residues down very far into the hole. He leaves them there at the top with the end tucked into his uh, pile of, of uh, crop residue, and it bege begins to be quite visible. Have you ever seen an earthworm midden? You can count pretty well your number of earthworms you've got in an acre although that'll take you quite a while because there's about 240,000 earthworms in an acre of soil. But you can count them in a square foot or a square yard. A square foot, it's about three of them in our area. Square yard, that makes it about nine or ten times that, about 27 or so. But that's a quick way of surveying how the earthworms are doing is how many of these that they're building. Because these are quite visible, you don't even have to bend over to count them. <laughs> but to look at them and find out what's going on, you need to take off that little pile of residue and see where his burrow is. And it will be very obvious in every one of these. And uh, it'll be about a quarter of an inch or so in diameter up there at the top with pieces of those crop residue pointed down. Well, the, uh, that uh, burrow goes down surprisingly deep. If our water tables are down in our area in Oshkosh there, it will go down five feet deep into the soil. Now, if you're not no-tilling, your roots only get down about two and a half feet. <laughs> 
So what do you suppose happens when a root starts going down in a no-till field where there's been earthworms burrow down deeper than that? He takes the easy way out quite often. And uh, he, he will get down there five feet deep, whereas uh, over in your tilled fields, uh, the roots won't go down much more than two and a half feet. This was amazing to me. I had never realized how much effect earthworms were having. They're giving a farmer twice as much soil that he can draw water from. Because not only does the earthworm get down there, the roots of the crops that follow his holes get down twice as deep and they can recover that water. It's not lost. They've fixed up a system for you where you can recover that water and it really gives your crops a lot better opportunity when you're in the areas where you're kind of deficient in rainfall a good part of the year. Well, here we, we dug a hole below a midden that's up there in the top left-hand corner, and uh, we laid a pencil in the burrow that we found down below that. And those burrows, although they're built in a material that doesn't have a lot of structure, uh, they'll last for uh, up to about 10 years. In other words, he, he will like to stay in it next year. And that's why he's a lot happier being with a no-tiller than he is with a tillage man. Because if you come along with a tiller, you not only destroy his pathways up in that top tilled area, but you disconnect him from his highway system. <laughs> and uh, this is greatly to his disadvantage, and he uh, will uh, not persist for very long for somebody who's treating him that way. Now, when the earthworm comes out and makes his midden up there, well, when he goes back down, he'll often ex produce enough excrement to block the top of that hole. But if you've ever been out after a quick shower in the summertime, you've probably found that the earthworms have come to the surface and they have pushed off that blockage at the top of his hole so that a good portion of them anyway are open to the flow of water. But the water has to be standing on the surface to go down a hole. It can go down by capillary action into the soil in general, but in a hole that size, you have to have a little bit of water standing there. And that's where the midden comes in. It kind of holds the water up there that can go down the, soil, the hole quite quickly, down the burrow. Well, this is a picture just to give you an idea of how intensely this soil is infested with these critters. Uh, in this top one up here, where the pencil is, that was taken about a foot depth, a foot deep in the soil, and was had been uh, cut off flat. 
and it shows you some of the openings there you see see that's an earthworm hole that's an earthworm hole that's one there another one there another one there about six of them within a, in a square foot in that particular slide now this is out on the ground where uh, underneath a, a corn crop which is growing quite vigorously and here are the middens here 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 by the end of the summer a good part of that crop residue that you'll have in that in that cornfield if you've been no-tilling and your worms have been hard at work will be in those middens this where the nickel is is a piece of uh, a soil that used to be at one time a uh, pretty hard and dense material but the earthworms came down and they made the big holes that you see in there and uh, now as you go out and take a close look in those holes what do you see what's inside those big earthworm holes crop roots in most of them in this slide it's not always that way sometimes there's only about 10 or 20 percent of the earthworm holes that uh, have crop roots but those crop roots uh, find those to be the places where it's easier for them to grow and so they grow faster and that apparently is the reason that they're down five feet when you have no till and the earthworms working with them there's a synergistic relationship between the earthworms and their burrowing and the growth of the roots and it's a great relationship because it gives you the ability to bring back the water that gets down deep there into the soil those roots are growing down deeper and that's why it's such a good working relationship well here we've tried to in a schematic show about what's happening then as you get a rainfall and this was our main rainfall of that year was an inch and a half we don't get a great abundance of water up there but the no-tillers are using it to good advantage now in the one over there on the left that's the tillage farm the water's coming in to the soil but slowly uh, it's a clay loam and uh, it uh, gets in uh, past the depth of tillage when you get a rainfall of that amount but uh, it does, doesn't generally go much deeper than the two and a half feet that the roots are going now over here on the side where we have the no-till the earthworms are taking the water down in their burrows by gravity and it's getting a lot deeper and it's getting down clear down to five feet deep in that soil now right 
for the moment after the rain. <laughs> that probably isn't too critical. But if you have an extended period of drought, of no rain, it gets much more critical. Now this is some r real data that we took out uh, on uh, some farms there near Oshkosh. This is the corn stalk height. Are, are you proud of your corn when it's knee high by the 4th of July? Not anymore, are you? <laughs> it gets head high by the 4th of July these days, doesn't it? Well, this is the time axis down here at the bottom, July, August, September. We were measuring stock height and uh, uh, there are no till plots are shown here and the tilled plots are shown in these two, the top two deals there. It looks terrible, doesn't it? Who would want to go into it? no till if his corn is only going to be half as tall in the early seasons of growth? You'd think you were in for a loss compared in your race with your tillers, wouldn't you? Well, as the month progresses, by the time you get to the 1st of August, the no-till has almost caught up. About that time we started thinking, hey, we're not selling silage. <laughs> we, <laughs> doesn't matter too much how tall that corn is if you're selling cobs of corn. So we decided to, we'd better start measuring the circumference of the cobs. That's what we're selling. Now, look, there's quite a different picture over here, isn't there? As we get into August, which is when those cobs are building, the no-till now is growing a lot faster than it is on the till. Now, why do you suppose that is? We suspect that that's because the no-till is getting some of that water that was down there deeper for which it has the ability to go because it's got deeper roots. And that it's that late season water that it gets when the rainfall, and by the way, these down here are the rainfall amounts. There's that 38 millimeter one, the one that was an inch and a half, and that was our biggest rain of that summer. But in August here, after the, this date, we just had no rain for about three weeks. And that was putting a stress on the tilled soils, and their water content, as indicated by the height of the water table, you see here by this relatively straight line, here for this one, uh, this is another water table at the other location. But notice there's not much variation in those throughout the growing year, there is a on the other hand, look here at the ones that were no-till. 
up when they got that rain, came down a bit the following day, and then it got this other rain the next day, but it came down again. But this rapid up and down is telling you how the crop is using that water and responding to it. And where you have the tilled soil, that's not moving at all. One and a half inches of rain didn't get any water down here to the tilled soil. And that's how much change those worms are doing for you in the properties of that soil as far as transmitting water. And it's a good thing that they're able to transmit the water up there apparently because this gives them a pretty rapid rate of increase in the cob size, which is what you're growing to sell. The result of that was that uh, the cobs here were a lot bigger uh, in the no-till areas. And these areas were right across the county road from each other. Well, I think that's some of the most important and interesting data that I've seen on how no-till and earthworms affect your yields, how they affect your water management, which affects your yields. We'll hear more from Doral in just a minute, but I wanted to take a moment to again thank Montag Manufacturing, your fertilizing equipment specialist, for sponsoring today's episode. Did you know that many universities have found you can reduce the amount of phosphorus and potassium you apply by up to a third if you ban your fertilizer versus broadcasting it? Recent studies have also shown that banding phosphorus and potassium can increase yield. In fact, University of Illinois plant pathologist Fred Below found that banding phosphorus resulted in a corn yield increase of 14 bushels per acre. And banding fertilizer also helps prevent nutrient loss to the environment. To learn how you can start deep banding your fertilizer, visit Montag Manufacturing at www.montagmfg.com or give them a call at 712-852-4572. Before we return to the program, I also want to let you know that if you'd like to learn more about earthworms and how to utilize these creatures to make your operation more profitable, we're offering a special discount to our podcast listeners on the Farmer's Earthworm Handbook. This book will give you the tools to increase your earthworm populations, which can help you reduce your inputs and aid your crop's root systems. Visit notillfarmer.com earthworm and enter the code earthworm30, that's E-A-R-T-H-W-O-R-M-3-0, at checkout to receive a 30% discount. Now let's hear more from Doral on how deeper rooting from earthworms allows no-till crops to access more water and how towel drainage can protect your earthworms from drowning and freezing. But that deeper rooting in the no-till fields, I think is the main reason that our crops do as well as they do. 
in our area in the no-tilled fields. The farmer is just taking advantage of what he can do to that soil, to its physical properties, and water management, if he's doing his no-till. So it's the photosynthesis that you sustain. The reason that you sustain that photosynthesis is that the stomata on your crops close when they get deficient in water. And when those stomata close, the carbon dioxide that is the basis for growth is cut off and it can't get into the leaves, which are getting enough sunlight, but they're not getting enough water to keep the openings open because the, the plant has a self-preservation instinct. <laughs> and if it starts getting dry, it closes up so it won't lose as much water. The leaves do. Well, this is just kind of summarizing, giving you a visual here of what the cobs look like when I picked them on August the 20th. And you'll see that the no-till cobs there are, oh, about 40% bigger than the tilled cobs, the cobs that were grown in the tilled field. In some ways, that's not too bad because this guy that had the tilled field didn't have to pay much to dry up his corn <laughs> to end of the year. It was already dry. <laughs> Do you ever hear of a guy called Sergeant York? Uh, the the white-haired guys here have heard him. Heard of him? <laughs> he was our great hero of World War II. And the government decided that they wanted to give him a reward for what he'd done in the service. And they said, "What could we do for you?" And Sergeant York said, "Get me some bottom land." Now, back in those days there was, had been some erosion already, and a lot of the topsoil had been washed from the higher lands down into the bottom lands. And down there, the subsoil was deep, and as the farmers went about industriously plowing that ground, they oxidized a lot of that organic matter as we did here until just a few years ago. And as that organic matter oxidizes, it turns loose the phosphorus, potassium, the other nutrients that you need. It can get some of the nitrogen back with the legumes. But Sergeant York was delighted with what the government did for him. Now, we and having heard of how good bottom lands were, went out on a farm there a couple miles from Oshkosh, and we measured the yield across a piece of land that went from a high of about 12 feet above what it was on the bottom land there. And uh, guess what? We got the highest yields 
on the high land and by far the lowest yields on the low land, the bottom land. What do you suppose would happen? That wasn't the way Sergeant York saw it at all, was it? Well, we looked at the, this land through the summer and through the winter. And of course, in the winter months, you had, well, at, at all times, you had fairly high water tables in the bottom land. It was only about a foot deep down there that you got to the water. And it's not too surprising that that yield was way down from that high, on the highlands, about 220 bushels per acre on the low bottom land, only about 85. Well, that uh, in the winter time, it freezes in Wisconsin and the top foot or foot and a half Last winter, it was about two feet frost depth, wasn't it? And what does that do to the habitat for the worms? They're either below the water table or frozen. Both cases, that means they're dead. And so the worms left. And when the worms left, they contributed to the, uh, not having the benefits that they give us that you try and give them. And consequently, uh, we were without worms in this bottom land. And without the big pores to let the water run in and out as rapidly as it does. And uh, we just hope that uh, on that bottom land that uh, Sergeant York got, did, that he got some guy that knew how to install drains, <laughs> could help him put some drains in that because we're quite convinced that if he did, uh, he would get his 85 bushels per acre boosted up to 220. He was putting on the fertilizer he needed on the bottom land, putting on just as much as he was up there on the top. So this pretty clear demonstration that uh, you've got to make sure that your crop has that access to the land, which they don't really have if they're below the water table, do they? And if you're getting along without them, you're going to be getting along without a major part of your yield. Well, here's what your drain putting in the tile drain can do for you. The water, the tile will bring your water table down and keep it down near where your tile is. And this slide here doesn't show it too well because it's indicating there's a crop on the top. But when you don't have that tile drain in there, that water table can come up and be mighty close to the surface. And for us people that live up in the northern states, uh, that means you're probably going to wipe out your earthworm population. So, we need to put in tile lines. Well, back in Sergeant York's time and until about 1970, putting in tile to drain lands was hard work. It's a lot easier now that uh, we have 
the kind of equipment that Amos has. And uh, we, we'd like to take a quick look at that. This is, young man down here is Jim Faust. He doesn't look quite like that anymore. There's not as much top cover. <laughs> but he's a great guy and I appreciate what he did. But he built this drain plow and basically this allows them to put a polyethylene tubing down into the, this hole up here and it comes down through here and it comes out the back end as this is being pushed to the left by that big caterpillar there. And this is just a close-up of that tubing of where it comes out. And this material here is polyethylene, polyethylene. It's quite flexible. And you can roll it into big rolls like you've got up here. You can put about 3,000 feet on that roll. And the guy that manufactures it can bring it out to you. And uh, uh, you can then run it <coughs> through this system of openings and it goes down into the ground here. Here we have this drain plow immersed. It's about four or five feet or four feet deep into the soil. So it's uh, not as impressive as it is here. But uh, Amos can pull that through the soil at the rate of about a mile an hour. And that's sure a lot quicker than we used to put the tile in with a shovel and a backhoe or a... This effectively reduced the cost of drainage a great deal. The people that manufacture the tile, the polyethylene tile, learned how to put just the right amount of corrugations in it so it would both be bendable and would be able to hold up under the pressures that you'd put on when you put the soil back on top of it. Well, Amos can put this in for you for about $600 an acre if you want the tile at 60-foot spacings or if you want it at 40-foot spacing. The price goes up. It's about $900 an acre. But it pays. In places such as the one we showed there on that screen where there's that much difference as a result of putting in the tile, you'll pay for it in less than two years. Almost pay for it in the first year, in some cases. But that's the start then of getting yourself a good worm population. The worms work with the roots and you've got a good combination there. This is a, a slide where we lost part of it. We lost these, this column here, which is yield. But what I was trying to show was that the stand that we have here, which was a lot higher with the till soils than it is with the no-till, and there's just as much seed put out there. It's just that it got stuck in places where it didn't grow too well because the soil was too wet. This was not tiled, by the way. 
But in this column here where it says grain weight, under that it says per acre. But the point is that we got, in the no-till, we got 224 bushels per acre in that no-till. And in this other one, we got 168. But those average out quite a bit higher than we got here in the tilled soil. Well, the conclusion that I reach is that uh, but sometimes you can bet on the, the, the one that appears to be the loser in the <laughs> earlier in the game. In this case, your no-till management with the help of the earthworms and got more water available at the critical time to make the yield. And I think we could do even better. If we had tiled that thing so that we could have got in there and got it seeded back toward the first of June instead of the last of June, I think that we would have been up with yields here 250 or more. Thank you to Doral Kemper for sharing the benefits of earthworms and what no-tillers can do to help promote their populations. If you'd like to view any of the slides from Doral's presentation, go to notillfarmer.com and click on Podcasts under the Resources tab. There you'll find a link to this episode where his PowerPoint presentation will be available. Again, we'd like to recognize and thank our sponsor, Montag Manufacturing, for helping make this No-Till Farmer podcast series possible. If you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or the Google Play Store to get an alert when future episodes are released. You can also keep up on the latest No-Till Farming news by registering online for our No-Till Insider and Dryland No-Tiller e-newsletters, and be sure to follow us on our No-Till Farmer Facebook page and on Twitter at No-Till Farmer with farmer spelled F-A-R-M-R. For Doral Kemper, Montag Manufacturing, and our entire staff here at No-Till Farmer, I'm Laura Barrera. Thanks for listening.